0: Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Rockefeller Center on Newsstand Studios. Join, not with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez, because she is in a big, fat airplane flying from here to Los Angeles. But we do have in the studios with John. How you doing, John? Doing great, thanks. Joe Hazen. Hey, how are you guys? Doing well, and live from Mexico City, Jackie Molecules. What's up?
1: Hola. Yeah. Hola, hola.
0: Now, I want to know, I gave I gave Mr. Mo- By the way... Call in your, if you're listening live on Patreon, call in your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. And if you'd someday like to listen live, you can just join our Patreon. Uh, it's not that much money, and we're still going to give you the stuff for free on Friday. But if you join it, like it helps us to be alive. Right? Right, John? Very true. Yeah? <laughs> and uh, where do they go for that? Where do they go for that Patreon?
1: Patreon.com, and then look up cooking issues in the search bar at the top of the page. There and you the have it. It pulls
0: right up, yep. There you have it. Can I just say – well, first of all, I'm going to shame Jackie Molecules a little bit. He's in Mexico City right now, and he's not, I think, that far from the – what I think is one of the finest markets in the world. One of the finest ones that I've ever been to is uh, the Merced in Mexico City. Now, if you like food, the Merced is a great – it's a great market, Man, am I lying about this? Anyone who's been to the Merced going to call me a liar? It's amazing. I have not. Been no, it's amazing. Yeah, you know what? Like everyone goes uh, ape crap over what's that? I forget the name just shot out of my head. The Barcelona market. Oh, it, it's blanking, famous.
1: Yes, blanking you know what I mean? on that as well. Listen,
0: I've been to a lot of markets. I think the Merced. I like it a lot because it's not just food. Like I said, they have cut rate pinata dealers at least they used to. And I don't. I don't know where I can go get some of the best fruits around amazing freaking, uh, you know, uh, tortilla game, and pinatas. It's a good mix. So I told him about one of my all-time favorite people, which is the squash blossom lady in the Merced, who is, like, fresh-pression. She's, she's got, like, the big ball of masa. And this is the best thing about that. You got the big ball of fresh masa. And I didn't ask her. I was like, are you using maseca, or do you actually have someone do the next Come on, man. I'm not... I mean, I'm a bad person, but I'm not like – well, it's not that I'm not a terrible person. It's just I don't like embarrassment like when I'm out. Like I save my embarrassment for my private life or maybe for the radio here. You know what I mean? Anyway, but her Fresh Press uh, Masa game is on – on point. So, like most people in the US were used to like the kind of roundish tortilla press. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about? The roundish tortilla yep. press. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, they're all garbage. Do you ever notice, guys, how the spacing in a tortilla press sucks? How it sucks. It's like it's not spaced right. You know what I mean? So they always come out like, too thick, and you can't adjust. I don't know how they—in Mexico, they're using, I think, the same thing a lot of people, but somehow—I think they're made in Colombia. I think the Victoria stuff's all cast in Colombia, which is what a lot of us use. Anyway, I digress. She has—a bunch of people have these what look like long presses, right? They're longer presses with a piece of freaking, like, inch pipe as the pull handle. And so she can make, like, longer things. Like, they're still thin, like a like a regular tortilla. So it's not like a telacoyos press or something like this. You know what I mean? It's, like, pretty thin. But she just goes, takes the ball, goes, and she's got, like, the big, like, like the big disc that she's using for this for these uh, squash blossom quesadillas, which are still corn, by the way. She's making it corn. We call them quesadillas. I don't know what she called them. I just ordered them. Anyway, and the big giant, as I've said many times, I'll continue to say it, contractor bag full of squash blossoms, which if I had to buy that here at the Union Square Green Market, I just don't have enough cash left in my bank account to do it. You know what I mean? I just don't have it. And then, just imagine, trash bags. And then I remember I had with me someone who's uh, uh, Venezuelans, native Spanish speaker. And I was like, yo, uh, I need you to ask her if this is like, did we just happen to hit this at, like, prime squash blossom season? Is this, like, the freaking, like, cicadas coming out? And that's why I can have so many freaking squash blossoms? Because it was a life-changing experience. And he talked to her, and she goes... We have it like this all year round. And I was like, oh, my God. And I have to get back on an airplane to this stink pit? Anyway. So saying all this, Jack has had a week to go find her. Not only has he not found her, he tempted yesterday because he knew I was going to shame him not going to the Squash Blossom Lady. And you got turned back by a rainstorm.
1: I did. Yep. A rainstorm. I'm, and and you're absolutely right. It was Monday, and I was like, oh, uh, the show is tomorrow. I have to go, and then I got rained on. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I know. Well, I you, know, I, so I knew you would try to I will be to going go.
1: right after the show. All right, there you I'm go. I'm going to go right after the show. There and you I'm go. Gonna, I'm going to take a video or a picture, and I'll put it on the Patreon. Now, I have to say,
0: I only went to her—you please do. That would be amazing. I have to say, I'm going to go look. At some point, someone asked me to— I don't think it's in my phone anymore. Someone asked me to find her and I geotagged her on an image once for somebody. So I got maybe I will look for oh. it if you can't find her. But uh I, I don't remember it's how huge. late she if operates. If you've never been to Mark Have said, it's like enormous. It's the size of a, it's a labyrinth. City. It's it's the size yeah. of the town I grew up in. It's the size of Mount Kisco, <laughs> basically. It's you know accurate. what I mean? Um yeah. and, and like I say, like it's it's like uh, for for those of you like New York isn't What it used to be, but it's still a little bit like this. Growing up in New York City, Joe, you—well, you know, but whoever, whoever. John, you—people have been around here, right? New York used to be much more so than today divided into specific neighborhoods. You know what I mean? There wasn't just Mm -hmm. a flower district. There was the artificial flower district. There was the district where you could, you know, where all of the floral trimmings were, Right. In our area, in the garment district, there was the area where all of the fabric jobbers were, and then there was the area where, like, the trimmings and the buttons people were. Like, right there, there used to be an area where leather crap was. It's like everything had an area because back in the day, without the internet and without shipping, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to drive all over this freaking city trying to pick up – if you know, you know you need to go, you go to that neighborhood. And it was – I have to say it was right. kind of cool. It was kind of cool.
1: That being very nice. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, uh, you know, over near where the Nomad uh, bar used to be, that was uh, for a long time the uh, illegal wholesale district. Ooh. That's where, like, uh, you know, like a lot of the stuff was sold out. It was amazing. And, like, also, like, so it wasn't just uh, ethnic enclave neighborhoods for things like restaurants and people, like Little Lee, Chinatown, whatnot. Which, by the way, like, I need – I'm so out of date on New York City's Chinatowns. They – I am so out of date. I need to learn more about my own city. And this is one more gripe before I get into it. A lot of people say that Los Angeles has uh, like more interesting or more diverse restaurants than New York does, right? You've heard people say this, right, John? Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know why? It's because they're, they're looking at they're looking at Manhattan. And, you know, they're yeah. looking at Manhattan. There's this place called Queens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which is. The most diverse place on earth, Queens. You know yeah, what I mean? It really is. So, I don't know. And I, shamefully, 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 it, I haven't been eating out since the since the, the COVID, since the pandemic. Just shamefully, I know very little about my own city. I've never been to the Sri Lankan neighborhood on Staten Island to have the food over there. I've never. Uh, yeah, I know. It's because I'm an idiot. And guess what? I love Sri Lankan food, <clears throat> right? But it's like, hmm. it's just... I don't know. It's so weird. We're so weird here in the city. Like, we think we know so much, and we don't even know our own city, half of us. You know what I mean?
1: Eater says there are nine no. Chinatowns in New York City, like, throughout the boroughs.
0: Right. And so, but the the other interesting thing about that, because I, dro- I biked through a, a Chinatown I'd never been to before, uh, not the one that's in Sunset Park, but the one right next to Sunset Park. And what's interesting about each one of is they're all different. They're all, you know— They're all focused on a different thing, and I just know nothing about it. So I need to take – you know, after we get our business straight, John, I need to take some time and reacquaint myself with the food ways of my own city. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Uh, Oh, so I have another thing to food shame you about. uh, It was not shame, but – so Don Lee, you know, my partner at Existing Conditions, we were down years ago uh, in Mexico City for uh, Tales of the Cocktail Mexico City. And by the way, is there still a chance to sign up for the Tales of the Cocktail thing I'm doing? Yes, there's certainly. You is. Pu- push that out there, uh, John.
1: Uh, so on Thursday, September 23rd at 1 p.m. Eastern Central Time, Dave, along with Derek Brown, Shannon Mustafar, and Ivy Mix, will be speaking about creativity and cocktails, and it's going to be great. So go to Tales of the Cocktail dot org to get your tickets.
0: Yeah. So again, the pitch is. Different people, all you know, called creative by other people. What do they share in common? How do you find your own creative voice? Blah blah yakety schmackety, right? Pretty exactly. much. Yep. Oh, speaking of blah blah yakety schmackety, before I get into this thing, I need to tell Jackie Molecules about next week. I will not be here because I'll be doing uh, teaching at Harvard, and it's live again this year. So I'll, I'll be in Boston. Um, we got to figure it out for you Patreon people. Let us know what we can do to make it up for you missing the show. Uh, let us know what we can do, and we'll try to do something fun for you, right? Yep. Yeah. Nastasia wanted to do a pop up in uh, in Boston, but it was just it's just too 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 much too fast mm. because like it's, uh, it's it's hard for me to just walk in and do something like that because it makes me real nervous. You know what I mean, John? You know me? Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yes, I do. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of real nervous, a little bit of a teaser. We're uh, we were shooting some of this video for this this product launch. We It's not. By the way, it's not the big. It's not a. It's a. It's a. It's a Sears All related product. I'll just tell you that right now. It's not the V8. I don't want to hear about it. It's not the V8. Um, so we're shooting the video for it, and I have to edit it because we don't have the. We don't have the ability to hire someone else to edit it. Is there anything worse than editing your own voice?
1: Even just listening to the podcast and hearing my own voice, I had to do that the other week to get to a back question. It was brutal. Uh, not fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm no. I'm no Adam Driver. I'm not going to storm out hearing my own voice. But, like, that's a hilarious. What was that? Was that NPR he stormed out of? Yep.
1: Yep. Fresh Air, I think, yep. with Terry Gross. Yeah.
0: sucks. So, no one storms out on Terry Gross, dude. Nope. <laughs> I think that was it, at least. I'm out. Yeah, and then he just leaves? Yep. It's amazing. Like, he didn't even say anything, right? She, during the clip, he just dropped the earphones and walked out. Yep. Intense intense you know what he needs he needs uh uh that uh, what's his name vince vaughn with earmuffs from uh, uh, from wedding crashers or, or no, or, no
1: uh, old school whatever it was yeah. all right
0: so here i am on the next thing to shame you on jack so don lee and i were down there and uh we found this place that was within walking distance of our hotel and alameda and the uh and the zocalo so like it triangulate that way right and mm-hmm. it was a place that don called Only Meat Bucket. And I think it's now, like, listed on, like, you know, the things to do in Mexico City when you're there. And I'll just describe Meat Bucket. So imagine, uh, for those of you that ever, again, in New York, in the old days, like, carved out of the sides of buildings were, like, little, like, notches, right? Almost like a closet, but inside would be somebody selling something, like umbrellas or, like, Shoe parts or like you guys familiar with what I'm talking about, like those little notches carved out of the side of building hole in the wall, let's say, but you couldn't even go into it. So this was a hole in the wall, like could have been an entryway, but they blocked it off and someone was serving meat there and they had a giant steel kettle, black steel kettle filled with like bubbling. I'm going to want to say oil, maybe broth Maybe broth plus oil. Would that be broil? oth, <laughs> oith? Anyway, some mixture. It couldn't have been straight oil because it was bubbling, right? So it's some mixture of meat, juice, and, 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 and fat. Big. And in that cauldron was every kind of meat. I'm not talking like one kind of meat. Name a meat. Lamb. Oh, uh, mm, it's mm. mainly beef and pork. Name a part of the animal. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I mean the whole thing. I'm sure. Now. Yes.
1: It's probably the head was in there. Yeah, and, uh, tripe. I okay. think all of it. Everything.
0: All of it. And so what you would do is, is they had like a board and they would write down all the the meat parts, and you would just be like, bop, 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 and then they would take the after they had the uh, the tortilla. They would dip they would dip the tortilla in the meat bucket, put it on the thing, and then get the meat of choice, pull it out of the cauldron, whack it, whack it, whack it over at the cleavers, and then throw it into the tortilla and hand it to you. And then outside of the thing was just like the little thing of sauce and and the and the little bucket of like, you know, like little lime wedges. That's amazing.
1: How do they keep track of where all the meat is in such a cauldron? If it's all the, you know, that I mean much, that's pretty it was
0: impressive. It was uh the size of the cauldron in my mind was uh, maybe slightly bigger across in a 55-gallon bucket. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like large walk size. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you know, like you could kind of hug it. You know yeah. what I mean? You could kind of hug onto it, but like not really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, amazing. So you got to go find yourself the meat bucket. How am I going to find the meat bucket? That is impossible. Needle in the haystack. It's a meat bucket in a haystack. But it will be uh, it will be a reward. I mean, like, how could you refuse finding a place called Meat Bucket? So I just walk around. This is not in Merced. You're saying this is somewhere not Merced. So like, all right, our hotel was like on that park, like Alameda, and like it's within a block and a half of that, and then like towards the Zocalo or however you pronounce that, the okay.
1: the main square. Just ask the locals, you know, where can I find the meat bucket? Yeah. they will be good to go, Jack. Don't install
0: meat bucket. Yeah, yeah that'll work. Go, meat bucket. <laughs> I don't know how to say bucket in Spanish. Does anyone know how to say bucket? No. Give me meat bucket in uh, French, John. So. Or, so de viande. So is bucket. Yeah. yeah. But wouldn't it... Would, I think it's Cubeta. K- Really? Do you prefer uh the viande or do you prefer like in other words like when you're when you're going, do you go to places when you're in France and specifically go to like uh I used to go to this place when I had to go to Paris. Uh, uh, a gibier only does like poultry and stuff like that yeah. and like and like Well Gibier is even more and, like, like, and, like game, game like rabbits, yeah. things like that. But like that's I get the, Yeah. But like yeah, the Gibier would have like the pheasant and the yeah. rabbit. And the,
1: We don't have that in the U.S. No, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, my dad loves pheasant and rabbit and all that other stuff. Yeah, wish there was. I wish it was
0: more of a thing here. Yeah, there's not even. It's not a category that I know of. A GBA. No, I mean
1: game, but like not. No.
0: Yeah. Like definitely, New York doesn't have. We're going the way of Paris with our outdoor dining. Although you know, we need to up our. Now that we're going to do it permanently, we should. You know, some of this stuff needs a little buffing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. A little buff and a polish. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, next next major tragedy we have here in this city, uh, maybe we'll get GBAs. I don't know how that would happen. I don't either, but it'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, Got this in from Jacob Pope on the Patreon. Hey, Dave. I'm trying to make oat milk in quotes uh, at home, and I was wondering if there are any methods to emulsify a liquid fat into it that does not involve an expensive homogenizer or sonicator or even blending it where it will eventually precipitate out. I find that using a blender also introduces a lot of air and drastically changes the texture. Uh, That is true. However, the texture will settle over time. By the way, this is in general— Okay, I'm going to finish your question, and then I'm going to— Should I tangent first and then finish? What do you think? Sure. Which? Tangent first? Yeah, because— Yeah, then
1: I'll circle you back to the question. So
0: blending and texture is a big thing that people don't understand. When you're making uh, syrups or you're making purees, right— the texture is a lot more air than you necessarily think gets whipped into your product. Now, this can be a problem from a flavor standpoint in terms of oxidation, right? Uh, but for most things, it's actually a problem in terms of one color, uh, two uh, – the viscosity changes a little bit. That's not really important. Uh Three, it makes measurement more difficult because uh, if you're measuring, especially something f- like for a cocktail, it uh, it can become problematic. Most things will settle out over time and go back. So if you if you only had to blend it at the beginning to emulsify it, but didn't have to blend it before use, you'd probably be okay, right? However. Uh, here's an interesting experiment. If you use a blender on something, uh, and then put it into a vacuum machine, you can immediately suck all the air out of it. So we used to show this, uh, all the time we would take and blend, uh, tomatoes, canned tomatoes. And y'all know how when you blend canned tomatoes or tomatoes in general, they go pink, right? They go real pink because you're whipping all that air into it. You put it in a vacuum machine, cover it a little bit cause it's going to spatter. It's going to be real ugly. Uh... But then when you suck all the air out of it and boom, it goes down, it goes back to dark red again. So that that's one way to de anything that can be boiled. This is one of the reasons why after things are blended, a lot of recipes will specify to bring stuff up to the boil. The boil will actually boil the air out and cause the color to drop back down to where it was and, and the texture. Uh, so that wasn't what you were asking, but I'll just add that anyway. Uh, no one has ever made, I think, inexpensively the— the uh, vacuum blending uh, rigs, right, that the dentists use, people keep threatening to make them available, and there's some people that have relatively inexpensive, relatively crappy vacuum mixers, but vacuum mixing, I once back in the day tried to hook a vacuum machine up to a vacuum pump up to a VitaPrep. Now, I did it with a VitaPrep in, this was 2004, right? And the VitaPrep bearings at that time were not good enough, so I was... For those of you that never used a Vitamix or a Vitaprep, uh, if, if you're in a real kitchen, there's oil and grease that have seeped down around the base of the Vitaprep. There just is, believe me. And so I sucked the vacuum, and the bearings weren't vacuum-tight back in the day, and I was sucking bearing grease up through my Vitaprep container into the into what I was mixing. And I was like, nope. Bad idea. Not going to do that again. But I've been told that the bearings are better now and that, that that won't happen and that they actually make also pictures that are designed for a vacuum. So vacuum blending is a very interesting technology. I don't care about it for its theoretical health uh, implications. But uh, it would be interesting actually to do a light vacuum whip for something like nitro modeling, right? So instead of nitro modeling, which you're doing blending, uh, blender modeling, I would like to try vacuum uh, on that. And it would be good for blending things that you don't want to whip air into. Okay. Again, I digress. Uh, yeah, no, I would just use an emulsifier and blend it uh, and then let it settle out. Uh, what you can do is you can, um, if you're adding other flavors to it, like you, you could just blend a portion of it and emulsify it in. If you use a, I would use a stabilizer. So xanthan gum is a stabilizer. Uh, it's going to also make the stuff a little bit snotty. So you don't want to use very much of it. Uh a good stabilizer for beverage systems that is not so good for commercial use because it's quite expensive but good for uh, us is uh, gum arabic. And the, the stuff that I recommend in liquid intelligence is uh, a mixture of gum arabic and xanthan gum. And that does a great job and it's relatively stable and it's, it's good enough that once it's in solution – you know, every day or so, you don't need to re-blend it to get it back together. You can just kind of toss it back and forth like you would a chocolate milk when you were a kid. You guys remember when you were a kid, taking a chocolate milk and going like this? Wappa, yep. wappa, wappa? Like that, without whipping a lot of air oh, into yeah. it. So, yeah, right? Wappa, wappa. And then you get that chocolate milk back. Or were you guys the kids that drank it so that you would have all the light chocolate milk on the top and then suck all the chocolate down at the bottom? Nope. You know that kid, though?
1: I actually know. Yeah, I do know that kid.
0: Yeah, I know that kid. Have any of you ever met someone who successfully done the gallon milk challenge?
1: No. No. Okay. I've seen it done. It, yeah, it didn't, didn't it, end
0: well. It's doing the rounds. Yeah. So my friend who did it in high school, he, it, he got it all down, jug hit the table, and then it all came back up. Like, he got it all down, jug hit the table, all came back up. Yeah. 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 Ugh, man. <sighs> Speaking of – I'm not going to talk about this. I was told by Dax. I was like – I was at the TWA Hotel this uh, weekend, which was kind of cool, at JFK, TWA Airport Mm -hmm. Hotel. And uh, they allow you to bring dogs. Oh. Yeah. They should not. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, So, Eero Saarinen, who the architect who died roughly my age, 51, uh, operation – from an operation to get rid of a brain tumor. Anyways, again, I digress. So, he – designed it and he wanted the flow to work in a certain way so there's not a lot of ways in and out of the of the hotel. So if you're designing a hotel, if any of you are out there are hotel people, if you're designing a hotel and you're going to allow dogs, right? Then you have to make there be an easy way for people to punch out of the building with their dogs. You with me? Yep. Yes. I want to punch out of that building. Yep. Now If you have a hotel that is part of a landmark structure and you're required to keep 200 feet of red, bright red carpet that you have to walk down to get from the main lobby to the area where the elevators are for your hotel, you have to make sure that there's not – I'm just going to put it this way. The way dogs work is dogs – uh trained dogs, dogs that are trained, right, that aren't sick, right? A sick dog, people, you can't blame a sick dog. If a dog is sick, you can't blame the dog. It's sick, right? But dogs right. in general aren't going to go inside unless they sense that it is a place where dogs are supposed to go to the bathroom. And how do they sense this? Other dogs pee. So if there's a bunch of other dogs that have already peed in an area and you haven't natured the miracles the hell out of it, right, then... What your dog smells is a message that says, hey, I was here. Would you like to add a message? And then your dog adds a message and so on and so on. So this 20-year-old landmarked carpet is about 99% dog pee at this point. That's unfortunate. Did you bring your dogs there? I did. And so like I had to do the short leash and run. Short leash and run. Short leash and run. Right? Hopefully the, the butt can't settle down in the time it takes you to run across that carpet. Anyway, uh, the, perils of, the perils of hotel design. All right. Uh, did I answer the question on emulsification with Tickaloid? I'd uh, so. Sorry. The mixture that I used, I forget what it is. Uh, John, see if you can look it up and put it out on our, on our Patreon. Uh, I suggested once a, a mix because Tickaloid 210 or three ten 310-S became harder and harder to find. It's mostly gum Arabic with a very little bit of xanthan. You're going to want your final xanthan percentage to be, I would say, a quarter of a percent or less Quarter percent or less, okay. Uh, and your uh, your gum arabic. The nice thing about the tickaloid is that it it, it dissolves cold, no problem. You know what I mean? Uh, we're gonna want to dissolve the the tickaloid into your water base first, or the, the gum arabic and the xanthan into your water base first, and then um, and then add your oil to it to emulsify it in. The reason gum arabic is good is because it dilutes well. I'm assuming you're not necessarily drinking the oat milk straight. You're pouring it into coffee. Gum arabic is a great emulsifier for those kind of a situations. Uh, gum acacia is the other word. If you find gum arabic to be an offensive word, I'm told that gum acacia is what we should call it now. Um... Anyway, so I believe uh, if you keep, it's something like four parts Arabic to one part, or four parts acacia to one part uh, xanthan, or, or something in that range. But uh, give it a shot. You really can't add too much of the acacia; it's not going to cause a problem. But please don't buy like the big yellow chunks. Buy a nice. You know, powderized, good one. And it's not even really the hydrocolloid in the acacia that, that helps you. It's the protein in it. They've uh, done studies where they've removed the protein fraction from gum acacia, and it no longer has its amazing emulsifying properties. What about
1: uh, 210S, special blend of gum, Arabic, and sand? Yeah, xanthan? that works. Okay, yeah, that's on Modernist Pantry.
0: Oh, modernistpantry.com. By the way, I, I have to apologize. If you do end up watching the video where we're trying to sell the new product that I'm working on, uh, we're all working on. Uh, I kind of went into pitch guy voice while I was doing it. I couldn't... You did. I couldn't... I, I'm Not full pitch voice. Not like... Yeah. Not full Mighty Putty. Not full <laughs> Bill, uh, Billy Mays. You know? Yep. But close. And I was like, oh man, I was doing my pitch man voice this whole time. Oh well. Uh, all right. Uh, Anthony Chan wrote in, what is the recommended alcohol content if I have to make a b- b- boozy ice cream. I put 3 ba- 3 ounces of Baileys into my ice cream mix. When you were guys were kids, you ever you ever do the uh the the Baileys milkshakes where you just like fill your blender with uh ice cream and then dump the Baileys. Not kids, but you know what I mean like No, nope, never did that. You never did a Baileys <laughs> shake?
1: No?
0: Nope. Say, no? no. I have to say I have to say I'm not a Baileys guy. But that tastes real good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, I mean, I mean, it's not going to—if you're, if you're in business trying to get all crunked up, it ain't going to crunk you up because you're not dumping that much Baileys in, and Baileys not that much of a high-alcohol product anyway. But it tastes real good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys—when uh, uh, when you guys were coming of drinking age, ha- were they still making those, like, disgusting Baileys shots where they would pour an acidic ingredient into Baileys? They used to have different names like Bloody Brain, uh, a Cement Mixer. No. Did not see that. Thankfully, no, I no. didn't see that either. So they used to th- they used to be a thing that people thought was a fun thing to do, where it was a shot with Baileys plus something that congeals Baileys. Yeah, it's terrible. <clears throat> I'm glad that's no longer a thing. Yeah. That's garbage. It's garbage. Trash can thing. All right. I put three ounces of Baileys into my ice cream mix. Uh, one pint total volume. Anthony, Anthony, you're screwing with me on with with pints. Pints a pound the world around. I love it. Right? 16 ounces. When was the last time you thought, John, when was the last time you had a recipe that you thought of in ounces and pints? Oh, you're French, though. You're Belgian. Yeah, never. You know what's so (laughs) weird, dude? Like, you're Belgian, but you don't get all Hercule Poirot offended when someone calls you French.
1: No. Yeah. I mean, my friends have been (laughs) doing that for
0: a very, very long time, so I've just kind of made peace with it. Your boy Hercule hates that, though. Yes. (laughs) Belgique. Uh... And he was but he was French Belgian too, right he wasn't yep. like Flemish he wasn't getting all bent because he was like Flemish, yeah.
1: yeah, 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 French Belgian, yeah, yeah,
0: uh all right, uh I put three ounces of Bailey's into my one pint of uh, one pint total volume of uh, ice cream mix, and it seems like it can never get to the right consistency. It seems to be too watery, uh, same mix without alcohol. I got the correct consistency without issue. Thanks so much and have a nice day well uh. I mean, you're already a Patreon supporter, so I appreciate it. So I don't want you to spend another five bucks, but you should go to uh, Quinn Fusil's uh, book, Gelato Obsession, and get a hold of his where he has a very simple explanation. We had him on the show a couple weeks back of um, the uh, AFP, which is the the anti-freezing potential that uh, a lot of other people in the industry use. Basically the same number, just divided by a hundred, called the PAC, which is uh, some sort of Italian thing that means the same thing, like like uh, how much it's frozen. So uh, using uh, Quinn's math, so Quinn's math is that uh, every gram of alcohol is uh, the equivalent anti-freezing power of nine grams of sugar. All right, all right, you with me, people? Okay. Now uh, Quinn. Is for for uh, something that is in your range. So let's just let's just pretend that your mix was a thousand uh, grams instead of a pint. Let's just mix. Let's just say it was a kilo, right? So uh, Quinn would want the equivalent of three hundred and forty to three hundred and eighty anti-freezing units or sugar units of anti-freezing power in, in, in the ice cream to get the right texture. Because remember. Quinn, a little bit crazy on this one, wants to have it be scooping temperature right out of the freezer. You remember that? Right out of an American, not, well, he's Canadian, but you know what I'm saying, right out of like a a standard freezer, not a dipping cabinet. Uh, Most people um, who are... are, uh, shooting for gelato at, at gelato dipping temperatures are shooting for about 240 to 280. Now, if you remember back from that show, what Quinn does is he doesn't want his stuff to be that sweet, so he's adding things like dextrose and other things that have lower sweetening for the amount of antifreeze power they have. All right, with me? You with me so far? Yeah. All right. So alcohol is a much more po- potent antifreeze. So as soon as you start adding alcohol, it's, you're either going to have to re- drastically reduce the amount of sugar right, or, or do something else, like boil off the water. Now, I looked at what you added. You added, you had a recipe, which I'm just going to assume was 454 uh, grams, about a pint, right? Yeah. And to that, you added uh, 85, roughly, milliliters of Baileys. Now, in that Baileys, which is 17% alcohol, there's 14.5 uh, grams or milliliters of pure ethanol, but that is the equivalent of 130 grams of sugar. That is the equivalent of 130 grams of sugar in terms of how much it's going to reduce your uh, freezing potential. Now, Baileys is also very sugary. So, Baileys is probably somewhere in the area of 250 to 300 grams of sugar in a liter, right? Somewhere in that range. So, you're also adding somewhere between 50 and 52 grams of sugar sugar in the form of Baileys. So, you have added the sugar equivalent, Right. You've added the sugar equivalent of um, – did I say 50? Did I say 50? I didn't mean to say that. Uh, 20, 21 to 25 grams of sugar, all right? So in your 85 grams of, of – 85 milliliters of Baileys is roughly 14 and a half uh, milliliters of ethanol, which is the equivalent of 130 grams of sugar, plus an additional actual 21 to 26 grams of sugar, right? Right? Sorry for that correction. Sorry. Loud numbers. A lot of numbers. A lot of numbers which means that your total sugar equivalent that you're adding to your 450 grams is 151 grams of sugar, a.k.a. a lot. That's a lot, right? You're adding, uh, say, every every milliliter of Baileys that you add is the equivalent of adding 1.8 milliliters of, or grams of straight sugar, right? So it's a lot. Uh, so all I'm saying is is that Even if you added no additional sugar to your recipe, if the recipe had zero sugar and the only thing you had was 369 grams of base and 85 grams of Baileys, right, then you right then would be just at the correct level for uh, Quinn's stuff. So on the soft side for regular folk, right? Uh, So you got no wiggle room in your recipe. So what's the answer? Boil off the alcohol. That's the answer. Or use less. Every, uh, every ounce of Bailey's that you add is the equivalent of adding 50, 52 grams of sugar to your recipe. All
1: right? And, Anthony, in case you were wondering where to get Gelato Obsession, go to cookingwithq.ca. Q the letter Q. And,
0: and he, didn't he also website. buy gelatoobsession.com? Or did that, <laughs> is that not, not work? Gelato. It's five bucks, people.
1: Yep, that works. It's five dollars. Come on, man. Oh, no, wait, it's I can rich. Just go to cookingwithq.com, and you can definitely get it there.
0: All right. From Prashant Ganesh. That's it. Hey, Dave and uh, crew. This is Prashant from Florida. Uh, I've been making yogurt at home for the past 18 months using a yogurt culture from my family. Now, here's the key. From his family. So the issue is wants to preserve this culture. That's the issue. By the way, I'm going to say this yogurt culture. Uh, we, I don't know him personally. I would love to get Sandor Katz on this show. He has a new book that just came out.
1: We can probably make that happen. We know somebody who knows him. Jeremy and him are good, really good friends. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I was in my new book that I'm writing right now. Like, I had to write something about fermentation, and I was like, you know what? Crap on it. Just go buy anything by Sandor Katz. You know what I mean? Yep. Why reinvent the wheel? Wheel's yeah. already round.
1: The art of what? fermentation. His book on it is extensive thorough and really really great I haven't read the new book yet I haven't read the new one either yeah that's from a couple years ago the big
0: fat orange one yeah yeah I have that one yeah yeah great yeah yeah wheel rolls you know what I mean yep don't need a new wheel anyway uh, yeah anyway uh, so what we should do is is if he does come on we should revisit can you flag this question I'm going to talk about it now but can you flag this question and we can revisit it if we ever do get him on yep all right um So Prashant's been making yogurt at home with a a family culture. Uh, I was unable to make yogurt for two months and would now like to know uh, how to restart it. When I started making it again, the taste seems off in all four attempts. One, it's extremely sour. And two, it has a weird taste that I don't really know how to describe. I'm wondering if you had any suggestions for how to revive uh, my yogurt and make it taste better. I was also wondering if you had suggestions on how to best preserve the culture when I'm not able to make it for an extended period of time. Thanks, Prashant. All right, now here's the thing about cultures right so they change right first of all assuming you're storing so remember yogurt is cultured at uh you know warm temperature for any of you that were alive in the 70s the salt Corporation used to make a little yogurt machine where you'd put little cups in and it would keep a like like individual serving sizes of yogurt at exactly yogurt culturing temperature and you would put it in the night before and every day you would have yogurt and people would buy it and they would do it for about a day and a half and then they would throw it into their closet. You ever seen this thing? Little mini individual yogurt cup thing from the Salt Incorporation? Yep. Yeah, Yeah. They were also the purveyors of the first really crappy home American cappuccino machines that did not work at all, at all. The... The espresso from them was garbage. But what do we know? The average American had ever been to Italy, anyway. Uh, so I digress again. Uh, so what, what I, I'm assuming you've stored it in the fridge. Now remember, the fridge is not the best place for the those yogurt cultures to survive. So I'm guessing what's happened in the long time that you've uh, had it uh, being stored is that other bacteria have uh, colonized it. And it is now no longer primarily the same culture that you uh, were using before. And I can't remember. I couldn't remember and I couldn't do a quick search on it, which is why we should ask a fermentation expert. But I believe that long-term refrigerator storage will skew towards more of the acid-producing bacteria, which is why what happens is is that you have to spend several weeks – like. Pitching and, tossing, pitching and tossing, pitching and tossing, pitching and tossing, pitching and tossing to get the bacteria level back close to where, where you were. So, you know, you, you use a small amount of inoculum and you culture it at the correct yogurt temperatures, dump it, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And you should get back into a yogurt zone. Now, is it going to be the exact same stuff that you had before? Maybe not, because a lot of times, and there's a lot of uh, science types who are who kind of poo-poo uh, preserving cultures for a long time, simply because they're not static. You know, like different things fly in from around uh, you know the place. So like you, you get a company that whose job it is, like Hansen or something like this, to do cultures or like a yeast company like Y Yeast or one of these things or White Labs. And, you know, they're analyzing and specifically getting, you know albeit mainly monocultures or what's a what's like a is there a word for several things, not a mono, but like, you know, two or three strains, you know what I mean? Is there like an oleo culture? Not that I know of. Anyway, you know what I'm yeah. saying, right? Yeah. It's like like a, a relatively narrow band of things. Yeah. You know, versus wild fermentations. But those wild fermentations that you keep going forever, they're just not static. They just really aren't. Um, well, they're living organisms. They evolve.
1: Yeah, well, right? they're Based not – Based on, it's like, the environment like, that they're in. They're, like,
0: cities of living organisms, right? And so, like, somebody – you know, you, 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 take, you take New York City and then, you know, you, you lift it up and then you take it to, uh, you know, I don't know, Keokuk, Iowa, right? And then other people move into town. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's, like, it becomes a different place. You know what I mean? It's not static. Um, so you know, you can probably get it back into good yogurt feather by, like I say, pitching and dumping a bunch to try to restabilize it. I mean I'm not an expert in yogurt, but I'm thinking that would work. Or get a new, uh, a new batch from your family I think is ideal. Uh, yogurt – so bacteria will be debilitated but not killed by freezing. I would guess that you could probably ice cube freeze culture for a good amount of time as long as you've excluded air from it. Uh, you know, so that it doesn't get all desiccated and freezer burned, and then I would freeze it as rapidly as possible. And then, uh, alternatively, some people dry the culture, but, you know, I don't really know how they survive that on account of the fact that they're not spore-forming. Lactobacillus are not spore-forming bacteria, so I don't really know how they survive the drying or uh, but people say that that – I mean, obviously, they sell dried culture, so that obviously works. But I don't, I don't understand the mechanism of it, right? Gert, right? Isn't that what it's called? Dried yogurt balls? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, again, scientifically, I don't understand the mechanism of why yeah. they survive that. You know? Yeah. I, that it works, I have no doubt. How it works, I do not know. You know? Yep. Again, pick up any book by Sandor Katz. Um, yeah, or Zilber, or or you know Ariel Johnson, or you know Ariel Johnson's fermentation book didn't get enough press because she wasn't uh, as well known when that book came out as hmm. uh, she is now. Go check out her fermentation book. She yeah. wrote that while she was, I think, still at the Food Lab. Oh wow. Has she submitted her of... new book yet?
1: Not that I know of, but I haven't spoken to her in a couple of months. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: And I get her back on these airways. Everyone, yeah. loves, everyone loves an, uh, an Ariel Johnson uh, episode where they get to a- ask their real hardcore – not their knucklehead science questions that you know we can answer, but like their real hardcore science questions. Speaking of, I'm going to be with uh, – at the Harvard, I'm going to be with Harold McGee again. So if you, ha- if you guys on Patreon have anything you want me to ask him for the show – let me know. I'll ask him. You know, if you don't have the, you can just ask him directly. This is a secret. People don't know what a sweet guy he is. You know what I mean? But, it's, I mean. that's also open to the public, right? The Harvard lecture. If you are in Boston, the Harvard lecture is open to the public. Yeah, You can come check it out.
1: Next Tuesday at
0: noon. No, that is a student lecture and oh, you have right, right, to pay a okay. hundred thousand dollars a year to see that gotcha. one. Gotcha. Okay. But, uh, the, the public lecture is on the Monday. Yeah. And does not require $100,000. However, I'm sure that's what it costs to like even rent a modest apartment in Boston now that it's gone all biotech crazy. You know what I mean? That town is like not the way it used to be. No, it's not. It's changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably in some ways for the better, but I got to figure out where I'm going to eat when I'm up there. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be there with the family, going to the Museum of Science. Great museum. Great, great, great museum. The electricity show at the Museum of Science, first of all. You've all heard of the Van de Graaff generator, right? Yeah. Guess who built the generator that they have at the Museum of Science? A guy by the name of Van de Graaff. The <laughs> actual Van de Graaff generator. But this son of a gun has a like, like, you know how like a, uh, you know how like a uh, in school you were like that's like two salad bowls. What's that? You know what I mean? The little ball, the Van de Graaff generator. This one is like this one. It, it's like the size of the ball they drop at Times Square on, on freaking New Year's Eve. It's big. And, like, it's so powerful that they, they have uh, the the belts that they use to run it because that's how Vannecraft generators work. They go, like, two stories up to the top of the thing and then down into the sub-basement and they spin up and it shoots lightning bolts, like, like 15 feet. Thing is bananas. And then the guys at uh, MIT— who figured out how to make musical Tesla coils. And if you guys don't know musical Tesla coils, ooh, ooh, look up a musical Tesla coil. But they have musical Tesla coils. So the Tesla coil, it shoots out uh, like these, these lightning bolts, right? But uh, it's frequency driven. So they can change the sound of the lightning based on the frequency they pulse it with. So they have several of them. So it's polyphonic. And then they play songs on the musical Tesla coils in polyphonic notes they have like i think 3 notes or something or more big and loud so i swear to god i was there i don't know 5 years ago and they played they played some classic stuff you know classic music whatever you know whatever bach or something you know you know, you know toccata and fugue Organy stuff right you know that kind of stuff and then i then after the show was over i went to go talk to guys like okay okay but they thunderstruck oh my god they played thunderstruck <laughs> on with lightning. Wow. hearing pretty cool. Hearing Thunderstruck with lightning was like. Yeah, pretty amazing. Museum of Science. There's a lot of little. Uh, if you're in Boston, you go to the Museum of Science. Uh, there's a lot of like hidden gems. At least there used to be. I haven't been in a number of years. In one of like the basements or the lower levels near the elevator, you go around the corner and it's just a wall of mechanisms. Have You seen that? No. Nope. It's just like a wall of. Um, so I don't know if they still do this. My kids never did it. So I don't know whether anyone else's kids still do it, but there used to be these things called dioramas where you took a shoe box and you cut a hole in the shoe box and then you built like a little world inside of the shoebox, and then you would look into the shoe box. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that kids do that anymore. Diorama. I love a diorama, but it's like that sort of scale, but just a whole wall of mechanisms where you stare in and they're like actually moving hmm. like linkages, linkages, Speaking of linkages, I need to add uh, Feltmans to our hot dog off.
1: Yes, you were mentioning that the other day. Yeah,
0: so we're gonna have a Michigan, we're gonna have a a, a Coney's, and we're gonna have uh we're gonna have your your hum your what are they call Hummel yep. Hummel from from Connecticut, uh, and then we'll, we'll, maybe we'll try to get a Feltmans here from New York. Feltmans claims that the actual obviously the Frankfurters from Frankfurt that the name is built right in right, but that. I didn't realize this until I was researching the Feltmans is that the claim of Coney Island is that they were the first group. This guy Feltman was the first person This is in the 1800s to throw the Frankfurter because he was from Frankfurt, you know, I'm main and uh, I'm mine. Uh, and uh, he was the first person to be like, you know what you should do? You should cook a long bun and put the Frankfurter on the bun so that you could eat it on the go. That apparently is what was invented. And that was in Coney Island. He did that in Coney Island, Hmm. which would explain why the Detroit hot dogs are called Coney's. Yeah. Right. Not just that, not just that, you know, someone on their way to Detroit passed through Coney Island was like, Hey, Coney's. It's like that, that they had the idea of the bun, whether or not that's true. I don't know because I don't believe any food history stories. They're all 99% trash. 99% of them are garbage. For real. Histories, like, I don't know. I've seen so many of them rewritten. Are, do you, what, are you, what are your feelings, John? You're a uh, art historian, art, art you know, professor. What do you think about food histories? I love them. I
1: don't necessarily believe them, but I love knowing all the different stories about how something could have come come to be. Yeah? Yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah, I don't, yeah, know I don't believe, like, more than half either. Yeah. I
0: don't believe any of them. They're all... But
1: it's just fun. I don't know. It's fun to know. It just adds, like, some more history and, like, mystique. And, I don't know, demystifies and... I don't know. It's mean, kind of fun.
0: My th- look, there is a there's an interesting book. For instance, uh, uh what's it called? The Language of Food, Jeroski. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Yeah. Uh, his editor was also Maria Guarnaschelli, so I I met and, him. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dan Jeroski. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so like you know it's some interesting. I think like. Linguistic movement is interesting. So, like, he had this thing how, like, this, you know, dish that uh, came from the Middle East, Sikh bodge, like, turned in somehow into fish and chips, right? So, like, as an exercise in, like, language change. But the idea that a particular dish was invented that is ubiquitous, a ubiquitous dish is invented by one particular person makes very little sense to me.
1: Like Eggs ex- L- Benedict yes. and Delmonicos?
0: Um. Yeah, what was the story? That one's almost certainly false, too, right? Yeah. It's got, yeah. Well, I mean, especially because there are two or three other stories
1: for it, too. There's the Waldorf, Delmonico's, and then I'm blanking on the third one. But, yeah, basically somebody came in one day, hungover, and, like, asked the chef to come up with this dish, and boom, Eggs Benedict concocted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is all garbage, especially because, like, okay, listen, here's something that every restaurant does. You know what we do? We poach eggs. Here, what's another thing that all restaurants of that era would have? mother sauces. Yeah, uh, yeah. Holidays, right? Yeah. Comes up. <laughs> dude, people have eggs in the morning and stuff. It comes up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh here's the way I I like to think of it. It's like uh here's another thing I You know how like someone's like it wasn't Sikorsky, my great grandpa actually invented the helicopter. You Leonardo Da Vinci invented the helicopter. No, he did not. No he did not. Sikorsky invented the freaking helicopter, right? Just because someone thinks that waving something over their head is going to make them fly doesn't mean they figured out how to move the propellers in such a way that the, you know, <laughs> that the helicopter takes off of the ground, right? Right. Right. So, no. like, it's not like, did somebody in, you know, 1312 make a cookie that was with black and white on it? They invented the black and white. No! No, that's not important. It's not that someone ever did it. That somebody did something once in their basement— a billion years ago doesn't make them the inventor of something. It's who popularized a thing. Yep. Right. Yep. So like, was Arnold Palmer the first person on the planet to mix iced tea and lemonade? No, no. You know what? People (laughs) had a lot of around, Hey, how many times when you were kids, did you ever just be like, I'm going to mix this with this? This is almost every day. Right. Every day. Every day, I used to open my fridge every day and just mix little bits of crap together and see what happened. We used to call it cootie juice and throw it on people. Because it always had, like, you know, <laughs> did you guys all – see? am I the only one who we always had the jar of the pepperoncini in the, fri- in the fridge? You always had that little jar of pepperoncini? Oh, yeah. I did not.
1: Uh, yeah, I had that. Yeah, we did too.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a, a, like a lot of that juice and then like other spices and stuff. And that was like that, that was the cootie juice. And we would either drink it or throw it on each other. Yeah. 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 I don't feel people have those jars of pepperoncini around anymore. Hmm. Yeah, you know what they make in Connecticut that's delicious? The Norpro Corporation. They're not high quality. I love. Them. I mean, they are, but I love them. But everybody else I give them to, they they hate them. Is the is the, um, the Italian like stuffed cherry peppers? They're either stuffed with the provolone or, or or provolone wrapped with prosciutto, or sometimes you can get them with like with tuna in them. And I love those damn things and they come in like jars with handles on them and you get i love those things and and I've, i'm told that they're not good but i just love them they're made in connecticut another connecticut thing, yeah the norpro corporation all right yeah um we said before sadly bend a table who uh, we worked with at the previous network uh They uh, are going out of business, and they still have some warehouse clearing boxes, which are basically just a hodgepodge of remnant inventory for insanely good price. Started at $65, now doing 25% off that with coworker clearance for well over $110 worth of stuff. Uh, Just go to this site and, uh, you know, help... Help clear out his warehouse. Uh, they have high-quality stuff. I got a box recently, a lot of good uh, Rancho Gordo. Uh, you like the Rancho Gordo beans? I love Rancho Gordo. Rancho Gordo. Get, uh, yeah, they're good beans. But, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, really, really great Yeah, beans. Got, yeah. Some
0: good, uh, got some good spices. Uh, some, actually, some really good fragrant fennel. And I was like, well, how good is the fennel going to be? I opened it up. That's was good. I, I love fennel, though. You don't like fennel? Not I. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. I love fennel. Really, I like fennel. Yeah, fennel's great. I love fennel too. I love fennel. I, I like, like that licorice
1: oh, anisey oh, flavor.
0: Like um, the um, the uh, like the the candy the Indian candy coated fennel. I love that. I love fennel nope. sausage. I love. I, well, I love that. fennel sweet sausage. I also love the 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 cured fennel sausage. The oh, speaking of cured sausage, you guys hear about the quote unquote Italian style meats? I sent you that. Yeah. Yeah. So get this, people. The CDC, I, I don't even know how they get away with saying like this. Stay away from Italian-style meats. <laughs> what? Ding. Yeah. I'm like, first of all, I'm going to take a little bit of a fit. Stay away from
1: Italian-style meats. You don't have to stay away from them. You can just cook Whoa. them to really high temperatures, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're like, a bunch of people got sick Eating, eating off of antipasto or charcuterie plates. Hold up, let me read Italian-style meats. They figured out what it was, though, so you don't have to stay away from Italian-style meats anymore. Outbreak alert. Until specific
1: Italian-style meat products are identified, reheat all Italian-style meats to 165 degrees Fahrenheit or until steaming hot before eating. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: yeah. They discovered what it was. It was pre-made. first of all, I, I get it. Sometimes you're you're you're. Sometimes you're lazy, but it was it was pre-made antipasto trays. So like, in case you can't slice up the cheese and the meat and like lay it on a plate, it comes in a pre-packed plastic thing. So what am I supposed to do? Like, r- rip the plastic off the top and be like, here you go, fancy. Because that stuff's not cheap. You know what I mean? No, yeah. Anyway, by uh, uh, Fratelli, Fratelli Beretta was the was the company, and I looked it up. And they recalled it all. So they're, they're good, right? They recalled it all. Um, and it's 200, I think it's 280. Look it up. 280,000 pounds of meat they had to recall. Look up the number. It's something crazy like that. What was the name? Fratelli? Fratelli, uh, fr- fr- Fratelli Ber- uh, Ber- Beretti, I think. Not Beretta, Beretti. Not like the gun, like, or, you know, yeah, Beretta. Or the... Or the
1: 547,666 vacuum-sealed 24-ounce trays have been recalled.
0: Oh, my God. 24 wow. ounces? So that's two... Po- that's uh, not two... It's a pound and a half of each? Yeah, it's a pound yeah. and a half. Oh, my God.
1: That's so... 862,000 pounds. A lot. According to the USDA, yeah. Th-
0: that's so much meat. Yeah. That's so yeah. much meat. Oh, interestingly, look this one up because I forget the name of it. But there's another one. I don't even know how this happened. There's a food... It's not a recall. Get this. The FDA, this is this week, specifically said, don't buy cured fish from this company. Figure out what it is. But they didn't issue a recall. They're like, yo, this fish is not safe. Don't eat it. But they didn't issue a, like, they didn't force the company to do a recall. And the company is like, nah, I'm going to sell it. What is it, like Norwegian salmon? It, it is like salmon
1: seafood, yeah. Felix Northwest, Felix pepper, smoked wild, mixed salmon, jerky. What'd you call it? Can salmons. Yeah. Listeria. Um. Yeah. But,
0: but the company refused to do a recall. I've never heard of this.
1: Well, they're disputing the
0: fact. Right. So the, was... the FDA said, don't eat it, but they're not mandating them to take it off. The... I've never heard of this.
1: Have yeah. you heard of this? No, never. Make I can't another, believe that's allowed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, John, make another mental note. It's not mental because here I am talking about it. But uh, pretty soon, I'm going to have to, like, very soon, I'm going to have to write the uh, food safety section of uh, the book. And so maybe we should have a food safety uh, expert. There's a couple on uh, Twitter that um, people have said we should have them on the show. Anyway, let's have them on and I can ask them some questions. Make sure I don't want to kill anybody. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Get me a name of a food.
0: Yeah, I don't yeah, want to kill anybody. Person I can get them on. Uh, you know, uh, you Patreon people, uh, let us know what you think. So,
1: what do you guys think about this thing? This report about um, eating hot dogs takes thirty six minutes off of your life expectancy. How do you? Quantify uh, I can that eat a hot kind of dog of a so much
0: faster than thirty six minutes. <laughs> You're saying I'm wasting 36 minutes of my life eating the hot dog? Well, apparently no, you, Joey Chestnut no, 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 a no, you're scientific.
1: are literally is, taking it off your life. taking it off your Like life. one hot dog you eat is minus 36 minutes off what you were expected yeah, to I eat. Mean, so I, Joey Chestnut apparently has like a year and a half taken off his life because of all the hot dogs he's eaten. But if you eat other f- certain fruits or vegetables, you can add six minutes to your life by doing that.
0: Yeah, but if, the, if that fruit or vegetable takes yeah. less than six minutes to eat, then you live forever. You just sit on the toilet pounding that fruit or vegetable, mm-hmm. and you just keep adding six minutes. It's like it doesn't work. First of all, none of this stuff works. I'm reminded of uh, – I had a health teacher in junior high, and he was like, they say that smoking cigarettes takes five years off your life, but they don't tell you which five years you could die young. I'm like, "That doesn't, that's not how that works, dude. Taking five years off means you take five years off. You don't get to like stop my life now. And then I resume the – it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, these studies are uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Without meaning. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like what they're doing is, is that they're, they're aggregating 8 million people or whatever. They're aggregating some huge number of people. They're figuring out like how many hot dogs they eat and then they're figuring out how you know, over the course of their life. And then they're figuring out you know, how, what the difference in life potential is. And then they're just doing a straight division between number of hot dogs and number of minutes. Relatively, zero, relatively low meaning. That's like – there's another thing where people are like uh, – there, there's a huge study that came out of uh, uh, China recently on substituting uh, potassium-based, uh, a potassium-based salt replacer so potassium chloride instead of sodium chloride. Hmm. And it being China, they can do this kind of thing where, where we can't, right? They're like they gave an entire cohort only this potassium chloride to work with with they're cooking and another one, regular sodium chloride. And they traced the, the the difference, and there was excess mortality due to things like stroke, things that you would you know as, associate with hypertension, in the salt cohort. However, right, no one is arguing. No one is arguing. Are there some people who should limit their salt? Yes, there are some people who should limit their salt. Does that mean that you, Joe? I mean, I don't know your blood pressure, but does that mean that you should lower your salt? That's a different question. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's one more Patreon question that we should get to. Do
0: Rob, it. Rob, I thought I got them all. No, Rob Pasco. Oh, what do you got?
1: Hi, question for the show. Is it worth taking the time to grind slash sand back a new lodge cast iron skillet until smooth?
0: Uh, sand back, Luda make a skull crack? What? Okay. Uh, the, uh, is it worth the time? Here's the thing. Uh, I love my old cast iron pans that... Uh, were sanded. I love them. I don't know how long, like if you have a, a four and a half inch angle grinder with a, with, and you get a flap, a flap disc on it, it shouldn't take you that long at all. What you want to make sure you don't do is gouge the pan at all. Don't gouge the pan. Like that's important. Right. So if you have the ability to do it without gouging it, I would say go for it. Right. Um, I would say go for it. I don't know. Has anyone done it by hand, just hand sanding it? I don't know how long that would take. I, have no, I feel like that would take. I would long say time. go for it. I would say go for it and report back to us. Yes, on, on definitely your, report back. I report would back really be interested yeah. to know the results. of that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, look, I have some lodge the the you know the unfinished lodge that are like twenty something years old now, and they're plenty nonstick. But pff, my old Griswold that was polished on the bottom is so so sweet. Uh, I had someone else actually write in. I don't know about their. Uh, I don't know where it is. Uh, somewhere down here about um, their Elizabeth Wells uh, about pans. I'm used to almost everything uh, on non-stick. Uh, don't judge. I have a question about blue steel pans. I now have two high quality blue steel pans. I can get a decent initial seasoning on them using serious eats method, which I didn't get a chance to go look at and basic soy uh, vegetable oil. By the way, uh, soy Soy oil will smell especially bad when you are seasoning your pans. I'm not saying it's going to make your food taste bad. But uh, soy, soy oil uh, has a particularly disgusting fishy smell when it's uh, overheated because of the – not linoleic, linolenic acid, right? Linolenic acid. Um, Okay, but they never get fully non-stick. No way I could cook an egg in them without serious sticking. It seems every time I use and need to clean them using soap and soft side of a dish bun, the seasoning comes off. What am I doing wrong? Cleaning them with kosher salt alone seems to help, but still a huge pain to have essentially re-season every time I use them. Am I using the wrong oil or the wrong seasoning method? Does it just take a while to fully break them in? And will someone with a soyology have a reaction if I use soil to season with? I don't think so. Please help me uh, with these gorgeous pans. Just use them. Just keep using them. Just keep using them. Like, the season is just going to get better and better. Uh, anything that comes off is not really fully seasoned anyway. Like, the full season, like, pr- polymerized stuff that, that bakes to the pan just takes a little while to build up. Uh, so, I have from J.B. Prince. They have a really cool one that I have, a, blue, a you know, a, a black steel pan. Uh, and... You know, I've had it for a couple of months. I haven't talked about it yet because I really like to break them in for a couple of months. So just stick with it. It's just going to get it's just going to get better and better. Right. Right. Oh, I'm being told that we're uh, we're out of time. So the rest of the email and social media questions I have, uh, I will get to them. Don't worry. We have not forgotten. None of them are uh, none of them are time sensitive. Right, John? No, but we'll try and maybe do a power
1: hour episode next week or in the coming weeks and bang them out. Power hour. Yeah.
0: Joe, what do you think about that? Power hour? Like just straight questions like blah, blah 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 blah. Bingo. All right. Next time. We're not here next week. Remember, I'm at the Harvard. We'll try to figure out something for Patreon people. And after that, power hour. Cooking issues.